I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. Uh, this episode is going to say fun and fancy free, and we're going to start on a downer because, again, right after our last episode went up, we got the news that another legend has passed on, Livia Newton-John, legendary singer. You know her from Greece, you know her from Xanadu, but uh, she does have a little bit of a Disney connection. As uh, she was in a 1990 Disney TV movie called A Mom for Christmas. And that's good enough for me to talk about her on this show. Yeah, I mean, we've had more tenuous connections before. Yeah. But But yeah, straight up legend, cancer survivor, activist, just all around good human being from everything I've been told. Yeah, I mean, people spoke very highly of her and are speaking very highly of her now that the news has, has broken of her passing. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, just legendary singer and a mm. uh, little, little bit of acting, of course, but mm. uh, primarily singer. Well, well, I all I'm all for getting into physical. Olivia, all these years later, I still have no interest of in getting into animal. <laughs> Thank you, Olivia. Thank you for everything. We will always be hopelessly devoted to you. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. It is now Saturday, August 13th, just a few days after we recorded the very episode that you're listening to. And for an episode called Fun and Fancy Free, we really are digging really into the depression here because right after we finished recording, right after I finished editing this episode, we got the news that uh, Anne Heche has passed away. Heche does have a bit of a Disney connection. She was in uh, the 93 movie The Adventures of Huck Finn. She was in the Touchtone movie Six Days, Seven Nights. She was in the Fox movie Volcano, which now is owned by Disney, and very famously was in a relationship with someone we have talked about in the past, Ellen DeGeneres. We had we had spoken uh, just a couple episodes back um, about uh, Ellen's coming out and how that affected her career, but what we didn't get into was that Shortly after her coming out, she ended up in the relationship with Anne Heche, and that impacted Heche's career massively, even more so than Ellen's career. Uh, she spoke on another Disney show, actually, Dancing with the Stars, in 2020, that uh, Heche said she was blacklisted from Hollywood for about 10 years uh, after 
being in a relationship with Ellen, uh, that she couldn't get a major Hollywood movie. She was a rising star, um, had done these blockbuster films. And then it became known that she was dating Ellen and suddenly her career tanked in a rather dramatic way. Um, if you were paying attention to Hollywood at the time, you will remember that. Um, yeah, pretty much none of the big studios wanted to work with her. She did a lot of independent movies, but that was kind of it. Yeah, and she had been in massive blockbuster movies. You mentioned Volcano. Um, she did uh, Six Days, Seven Nights with Harrison Ford. Uh, I know what she, she did last summer. Uh, yeah, um, she was in a shot-for-shot remake of Psycho, um, yeah. which was a massive film, uh, despite you know anybody's thoughts on whether or not it should have been done. It was a major film. Uh, there at was the that, time. that there was that political satire movie, Wag the Dog, which was also a a major film at the time. Um, but she was she was becoming kind of the it girl in Hollywood, and then the the news broke of her and Ellen, and suddenly she became untouchable uh, by the major studios, and everything in her career became kind of you know independent or parts on television maybe, but so definitely some- not. The, the big studio films. She did some animation. She played Lois Lane in a Superman animated movie. But in terms of leading lady Hollywood movie, yeah, those were drying up. Yeah, she's definitely not Harrison Ford's leading lady after that, is is the point. Um, and it impacted her mental health. Uh, she was very open about her struggles with mental health and um, some substance abuse um, after that. But the one thing she never recanted on was her relationship with Ellen. They were together for about three years, I think, um, before uh, breaking up. Uh, Haish went on to uh, marry a man, um, had other relationships with men, Children, ended up yeah. having children with men, but the um, but she never she never recanted her relationship with Ellen. She never she there was a lot of pressure to say it was just for publicity or whatever, but she never did. She always said it was a legitimate relationship and that she had been in love with Ellen and um that she never regretted what she did. Um, but uh, like. Like I said, she had a very troubled life, uh, struggles with mental illness and substance abuse. And unfortunately, just uh, about a week before we are recording this, there was a car crash. It does seem to have been um, caused by a DUI um, that she was under the influence of something. Uh, we're still waiting for the reports as of now, um, and it does seem to have claimed her life uh, because of that. So um, sad 
ending, but um, it is a very it is a very interesting and important kind of stepping stone, I think, in Hollywood that she was a part of, because Ellen gets the kind of glory, I think, in that moment. But Anne Heche suffered a lot of the brunt of of that being part of kind of one of the first open uh, lesbian couples in Hollywood. And it did a lot of damage to her personally, but it opened a lot of doors for people after her. And we're now at a moment where, you know, she was warned not to bring a female partner with her to awards shows and, and all that kind of stuff. And she did it anyway. Um, and now we're at a moment where people can do that a little more freely, which is good. And it's because of people like Anne Heche, you know, said, okay, I'm going to do it anyway. It's important to remember the people who were there before and what it cost them and what they went through. It is sad in a lot of ways what it, it did cost her because she was a, she was a pretty good actress. Um, I liked a lot of her, her movies at the time. It really would have been interesting to see where she would have gone had everyone not backed away um, from that. And honestly, it, would have arguably been better for her mental health had everyone not backed away because of the the homophobia of the moment as well so yeah um it's it's a tragic end to someone with so much talent and who's gone through so much hardship and maybe maybe now she can find some of that peace that was missing in her life yeah Thank you, Anne, for everything. Now, back to our show. So let's let's move on to our main feature, fun and fancy free. Now, when I brought this up to you, Kiki, you had no idea what I was talking about. Yeah, I had just forgotten the, the title. A lot of the titles of these package films kind of slip your mind. Especially when uh, us growing up, we're used to seeing these as individual shorts, because that's what they were. When one of the Disney classic movies ran short, they would put one of these little shorts on, tack on the end of it to kind of fill up the runtime, whether it's on uh, cable or network television. Yeah, or a lot of the times on uh, Disney Channel, they would just shows of shorts independently yeah that's how i saw these originally i did not see this as a movie i saw these as the individual shorts and we've never really talked about this era of disney yet we've talked about every other era we have yet to tackle the wartime era of disney you know world war ii starts and you have a combination of so many factors at once because you have the box office failure of Fantasia 
and Bambi that really wrecks the studio. You have the the nation going to war where now you're losing most of your animation team because they either got drafted or, or enlisted in, in the in the fight. Your studio is now commandeered by the government to make propaganda films. And you still have to release a feature film into theaters. And Disney at this time really only had North and South America to distribute to. They couldn't distribute it to anywhere around the world because that's where the war was. Yeah, I mean, European distribution really, you know, a lot of Europe was cut off because you can't distribute to your enemies. Um, And so it was either directly uh, enemies or being occupied at the time. Even in allied places, people, you know, weren't really going to films because things like the Blitz in the UK are really... I'm not saying that they didn't show films at the time, but, you know, you'd be in the middle of a film and then, of course, there'd be an air raid siren. You have to turn off all the lights. You have to get people to cover. You have to, you know, um, it's a it's a big problem. So it really did cut into that. Also, people in the middle of wartime, you have less expendable cash to just be like well let's go out and see a movie you know um so it really television then so you can't wait well yeah i mean that that too so you know you don't really have things like television distribution and stuff in the 40s but the the really fascinating thing though is you you would have shorts sometimes sent over um as part of the USO to people fighting overseas um, where they'd set up uh, little projector screening rooms and show things to the troops or to uh, men recovering after wounds and stuff to raise their spirits. So that did kind of help a bit. um, Interestingly, uh, but it, it is kind of fascinating the films that came out of this era, not only for Disney, but just Hollywood in general. Yeah. Um, but it, it really did impact Disney quite a bit. And the package film was a fascinating way to get around it. Um, because this one, I mean, this one was released in 47, which was after the war. Mm-hmm. But they were still not kind of back up and running at full speed as a studio. Again, the the the, the failure of their box office turnout years past was catching up to them. And uh, uh, that was the entire idea of the package films to begin with, was release smaller cheaper films and then the profits from those smaller cheaper films would then pay for a bigger release which we would get a few years later with cinderella so this was you know even though the war was over they still had to 
penny pinch to get a movie out in theater so they could get those profits to do the big thing. Yeah, I I really have to admire the ingenuity of coming up with these sorts of ideas. And I mean, some of them made sense. Like some of them are shorts that have a common theme like these are shorts about South America. These are shorts about birds. These are shorts about different musical styles. And then um, here's a short about a frog and a short about when uh, and a short about a headless horseman. Uh, it's a movie. <laughs> yeah. Fun and Fancy Free is kind of in that latter category. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so like. This was originally these both of these stories that we're going to be talking about were originally atten- uh, intended to be separate films and were talked about right before the war started. The second short here, Mickey and the Beanstalk, was talked about back in the 40s, back in the early 40s, mostly as a way to bring the popularity of Mickey Mouse up because every other cartoon out there was kind of more popular than Mickey at that point. Popeye, Porky Pig, even Donald Duck was more popular than Mickey Mouse. So their idea was, well, let's do a movie about Mickey Mouse and maybe people will like Mickey Mouse more because he is their 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 main character, their star. Walt's creation. It all started with a mouse, as they say. Yeah. And Walt was still voicing him at the time. Yeah, this would actually be Walt's final uh, final run voicing Mickey before uh passing uh, the role along one because the Disney corporation was getting bigger and his responsibilities were getting bigger and two years of chain smoking was catching up to him. Don't smoke kids. Yeah, it, but it's, it has to be a, a bit of an ego blow. If you're Walt to be like, well, this is my flagship character. It's the one that I voice and he is less popular than yeah. uh, some of some of our other, you know, it it makes sense to be like, well, let's really kick Mickey Mouse shorts into high production here to try to boost his popularity. And then the war happens and Walt, probably one of his smartest moves, retires Mickey Mouse for a bit mostly because he did not want his flagship character as you say the one that he's voicing to be in any kind of propaganda movie yeah we did we got that with donald duck (laughs) but that's a different episode for a different day if those ever if those ever show up on disney (laughs) plus the the other interesting thing is that right before the the war, you know, in the early 40s, you also have the massive Disney animator strike, which we've talked about previously. Oh, yeah, yeah, that. And so, Walt was not happy about that at all. Yeah, so um, those two things kind of coinciding in the early 40s were you know, massive blows to the Disney animation department. Um, and it, it does give us this kind of dip in Disney animation production 
through the 40s. Yeah. Um, and it lends to these package films by the end of the by the end of the 40s. So. Yeah. The uh, the other short that's part of this movie, Bongo, also was put, attend um, intended to be its own feature film by itself. It was a short story based off a Cosmopolitan article in the 1930s. Yeah, by the the great Sinclair Lewis, um, yeah. who was just an incredible writer. Um, if you've never read his story, it can't happen here. Um, maybe go read that right now, right now, like this very moment, because um, it kind of is, <laughs> kind kind of is at the moment, and maybe you should uh, read that. Um. So, yeah. So, yeah, they were trying to find... We, we, and we kind of talked about this a little bit with Lady and the Tramp, that the short story was fine, but it needed something else to kind of extend it to a full feature. One of the ideas they had was to make this a sequel to Dumbo, because Bongo's a circus animal, Dumbo's a circus animal. That was their last big hit for Disney. Even though Walt notoriously hated the idea of sequels, he was willing to do that just to get butts and seats and tickets sold. So obviously that's not what happened here, but it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting to think about that this almost became Dumbo 2. It's just the focus would have shifted from Dumbo to this bear named Bongo. So we they took these two ideas rather than make them full features, made them into one film. 30-minute shorts each with some wraparound story, and you get a movie. Wraparounds with Jiminy Cricket bring another classic Disney character coming back for this film. Yeah, it is kind of interesting. Not not just Jiminy Cricket, but we also get the the fish and the cat from Pinocchio kind of Cleo making, and Figaro. They yeah, changed, kind of they changed little... the color on Figaro a bit. He's a little bit darker than he is in the original film but i think those are supposed to be cleo and figaro yeah who now live in hollywood with jiminy cricket i guess yeah and yeah and most of the cast in here are people we've talked about before cliff edwards returns as jiminy cricket as you said this is walt disney's final performance as mickey mouse clarence nash as donald duck pinto kovig as goofy yeah billy gilbert shows up here we've talked about him before he is doing willie the giant in this one probably most famous for doing sneezy and snow white and the seven dwarves um but shows up throughout uh disney in those early years we've we've talked before about uh edgar bergen who is in here in the live action sequences um when we did uh, Muppet movie, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he he shows up in here with his um, famous uh, ventriloquist puppets, uh, Charlie McCarthy and Mortimer Snurd. Talk about stunt casting. <laughs> yeah. But um, the the ones we haven't really talked about in here are uh, Luana Patton, who is in here when she was a little girl 
she did some work for Disney, um, most notably in uh, Song of the South. And then she was also in Melody Time. Uh, those were her other two big roles for for Disney. She had a little cluster of them right here in the late 40s. Um, and then uh, did some other uh, work around Hollywood um, appearing a, a lot in TV shows in Rawhide and um, F Troop and uh, Perry Mason, Wagon Train, things like that. Uh, so these, this is one of her three big roles for, for Disney. Um, we have the absolutely legendary uh, dinosaur um, in here being the narrator and singer for the bongo short Le legendary singer and then um, she also was an actress and then had her own uh, talk show if you are of a certain generation or grew up with with parents of a certain generation, I, I guess I should say, because that's more how I know her is um, that. Um, Adam Sandler sings about her every Hanukkah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. Um, but that's that's kind of kind of how I I know her. Her her music was was on a lot in my house. Um, so uh, and then the. The last one that shows up in here that we haven't really talked about before is Anita Gordon as the voice of the singing harp. And uh, she was one who was kind of mostly known for dubbing over other people's voices in musicals like they used to do um, a lot in films. So she was the singing voice for um, Pamela Tiffin in a state fair. And um, she appeared again uh, dubbing over um, for Gene Seberg in Paint Your Wagon, um, for instance. Um, but she worked a lot with Edgar Bergen on radio. So possibly how she ended up in this. Uh, can't say for sure, but. Um, she was also just a singer, um, as well, uh, and did a lot of television during that time, uh, during the, the 50s. Yeah, so let's get into this movie. <laughs> um, it's a movie loaf. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bit, yeah. Bits of, bits of movie chopped and formed. Yeah, so we get our... This movie actually features a deleted song from Pinocchio called A Happy Go Lucky Fellow, which uh, Jiminy Cricket does sing at the beginning of the movie. Maybe it was a good idea that was deleted from the movie. It's a nice song, but it really wouldn't have fit in that movie. Yeah, it it's a bit of a different tone for the way they set up Jiminy Cricket's character. I, I'm not really sure how it would have fit in. Yeah, but the way they set up in this movie is, you know, the world's full of gloom and doom and 
just have fun and fancy free in a post-war world. Sure, Jiminy. Yeah, if you pause it and read some of the... Uh, the newspaper? The <laughs> newspaper that he's looking at. Kind of terrifyingly prescient some of the things. Some of the things are absolutely ridiculous and could never happen. Like, the sun is going to turn to ice soon, or, or something, you know, is one of them. But, like, uh, oceans will swallow the earth soon It was one of them. Which is kind of like... <laughs> There's a there's a headline about inflation. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, it's there. There's a couple of them that that watching them in in current year 2020 is like, shut up, cricket. <laughs> You're not a very good conscience. <laughs> yeah. Where's where? Why are you not with Pinocchio? <laughs> yeah. So after all of this, his he sings his song. He gets chased by Figaro into a little girl's room. You don't know that. We do know this because we find out whose room it is later in the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. We do. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, he he notices that the girls' dolls are sad. So he's going to put on something happy. And he finds a record player with a record of Bongo as told and sung by Dinah Shore. That's one way to... uh segue into a short yeah it it, it's kind of funny him accidentally loading the record player yeah he pulls the record out it slips out of his hands and coincident and just conveniently lands perfect on the record player so that leads us into the first short the first half of this film bongo which is about this circus bear he is the star of the circus he is happy. He is juggling. He does all of the things. Trapeze walking, juggling. He's a strong man. He Jiu-jitsu or something. Yeah, he, he boxes. <laughs> he does all the things. And the big finale is he juggles on the, tie, on the high wire before diving into a sponge. Yeah, but the, but off, you know, when, when the, when the crowds are not around, they don't treat him very well and they stick him he's in a, a tiny yeah. cage and he's in chains and he's just not happy. There's bar. I love the, the, the look cause he has his PJs on and the light coming through the bars of his cage make him look like, makes it look like a prisoner uniform. Yeah. Nice imagery. Cause that's how he feels. He's, he's, he's locked. He's has no freedom. Yes, well, like they do the, the Dumbo parallels. I mean, a lot of the animation is kind of a Dumbo parallel in the way they, they draw it and the way that they did the the animals in Dumbo. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they draw it kind of similarly, mm-hmm. uh, which, which I like. I mean, it's it, and it makes sense that a lot of it was originally thought of as a possible sequel. So I I do think that it's it's kind of interesting in the, the way they kind of portray the, the sad animal in the circus kind of idea. 
Yeah, so he's in his his little cage on the circus train, and he just wants to get out. He has his animal instincts are kicking in for freedom to to roam in in, um, in the forest and dive through the water, and this this voice is calling to him to get back into the wild. And he ends up it it kind of works for Pongo because uh, he ends up shaking the the door of his car so much he breaks the lock and he falls out. So now that he's free, he's free for the first time in his life. He was born in the circus. That's and, and and they stress this out. He was born in the circus, raised in the circus. The circus is all he knows. But there's that nagging feeling in his brain for for life in the wilderness, that animal instinct. And now that he has it, he's enjoying himself, but he's been raised in captivity all in his life. He really doesn't know how to navigate in the wild. And they they play it up for a lot. Like he can't really jump that high. He can't climb a tree. He can't do much of anything. But he likes the idea of being in the wilderness all the same, even though he doesn't really have all of his animal instincts activated at this point yet. There's a you know you get your your little beautiful dinosaur song about all of it, and but the the story really starts to kick kick up. When he meets um, Lulabelle, Lulabelle, this little cute little girl cub, and he's just completely infatuated with her, and she seemingly is instantly infatuated with him. We get the the love montage. It's very cute and very well animated for what's supposed to be a cheap uh, cheap Disney short. Their whole love sequence is so. Sacrinely adorable. <laughs> like it really is. Cause they have that whole thing where they're like floating on clouds and there's like a lamp post and the light coming from the lamp is heart shaped and the clouds are heart shaped and, and the, the trees are heart shaped. The trees are heart shaped. It's like everything in the scene is shaped like a heart. The decorations on the little fence are heart-shaped and the you know it's it's so over the top that you can't help but kind of come back around to loving it but the uh the happiness is interrupted enter our villain for the short a giant bear named Lumpjaw, who wants lulabelle uh lulabelle for himself and in a, in a bit of a in a bit of a stand up moment, Lula Bell stands up saying, "No, uh, Bongo is my man. You can't, you know, it's you know, it's not going to happen. This is my man, and I will show you that he is my man." And she slaps him in the face, which breaks Bongo's heart because he kind of doesn't understand. Like I said, he doesn't have the animal instincts in him. Right at this moment, he gets smacked in the face and he thinks Lulabelle hates him. So he's kind of heartbroken. He walks away and she's trying to make him understand, smacking him again and again. And he's just in his mind, she's beating him. Why is this girl who says that she likes me is hitting me? And apparently in the bear world slapping someone means you love them now i understand why this cartoon isn't well remembered 
because a Disney cartoon showing you, hey, kids, when the person you love hits you, that means they love you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to say that, you know, this was a bit weird even for the time. I'm just going to put that out there. I'm not sure if bears actually do that or if that's from the short story. Um, but... yeah, it's, it's this, I'm just going to go ahead and say this changed a lot from the short story. So let's, let's just, you know, but yeah, th- th- this is a little weird even for the, the time, but they have a whole song. Um, say it with a slap. Yeah. About how bears say I love you with a slap. And it is a weird song. Because you just got bears slapping each other while Dinosaur sings Bears Say They Love Each Other with a Slap. And like I said, that 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 is that is a, a, that's not a really great message to send to the kids. Yeah. But yeah, the the problem is is that while trying desperately to hit Bongo one last time to be like, don't you get it? Um, Bongo dodges. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Lulabelle ends up accidentally hitting Lumpjaw instead. And Lumpjaw's like, oh, that means she likes me. And immediately uh, plans the wedding ceremony. Yeah. And invites the whole forest. And it kind of gets out of hand. And Lulabelle's like, oh no, what have I done? So, yeah, Bongo walks away and he uh, overhears the bear singing the song about seeing it with a slap. And, oh, now he understands. He understands what she was trying to do. Time for the big fight. We get the big fight between Bongo and Lumpjaw. Lumpjaw, obviously, bigger and stronger. But uh, we get Bongo using his skills. Skills from the circus. You know, he does. Uh, he uses his his unicycle to kind of ram into Lockjaw. They end up end up fighting over a, a ridge onto a log where again, uh, Bongo uses the unicycle to turn the log over and he's got better balance yeah. and he's got you know all that kind of stuff. Um, but they go over the waterfall and it's like, oh no, and, oh, but we see that his little hat that he wears that has elastic around, which has been a running gag through the movie of it keeps getting caught on things and, you know, bouncing him around. It gets caught on a little tree limb that's sticking out of the side of the cliff and it ends up saving him from falling over the cliff. But Lumpjaw falls over the cliff and gets swept away by the river, never to be seen again. Yay. And uh, Bongo returns triumphant and gives his precious Lulabelle a big old slap to the face. And she gives him a big old slap to the face. And they are together, and they are happy. Yay. And that is the short bongo. Uh, I want to talk about how 
you know, we we talk about the Disneyfication of stories a lot in these, especially in these early ones. Um, and this one changed this story quite a bit because in the original story, the circus that Bongo was in didn't necessarily treat him badly, but they were just on the verge of closing. Like they just didn't have much money. So it, I, I don't think it was like necessarily that the, the owners were like, Oh, you know, let's treat this bear badly. It just, they didn't really have much funding. You know, the circus wasn't doing well. When the train was going through the mountains and stuff, there was like a, an accident or whatever. And his cage ends up being like shaken loose or, or opening that way. And he ends up being tossed off the train. Um, so it's an accident that he gets into the woods rather than him being like, oh, no, the call of the wild compels me. I must go be free and be a wild bear. The The whole point of the story is more that he finds this group of wild bears. And because he has been. I won't say domesticated, but, you know, because he has been trained by humans and living among humans, he acts in a very human way. And the bears act in a very wild way. And Bongo doesn't fit in. And so when the mating time comes, you know, he finds this bear she's called silver ear in the story. Um, and he wants to mate with her and he cannot compete with lump jaw. Cause he is too domesticated. He's too pacifist. Like mm. he, he's just not as violent and everything, which is what the wild bears want. He ends up going into hibernation and when he comes out of hibernation, he finds out that Silver Ear has mated with Lumpjaw and now they have cubs. And when he's like, but I thought you and me. And she's like, uh, no, I have cubs now. Go away. And she's like very violent to him and chases him off. So he's like really depressed and he ends up just wandering away and finds human you know, civilization again and finds a circus, just a different random circus that happens to be there. And he's like, oh, wow, a circus. Maybe they'll take me in. And he goes and he finds the the ringleader for the circus and like goes and does tricks for him. Goes into his routine. Yeah. And they're like, oh, this isn't just like a random wild bear. This is obviously a trained bear that somehow found the circus. And they're like, we will take you in and feed you and put you in your, you know, and he becomes like the star of that circus. And they treat him really well because they're actually like a thriving circus. Mm. And they have a she bear that's part of their circus. 
and Bongo ends up mating with that she-bear and ends up living happily ever after in the, the circus. circus with that she-bear because she is like him and with his ways and stuff because she was also from the circus. Mm. Uh, I kind of do like the Disney version more now that you say it. <laughs> it's one of those things that you you might be like, hmm, maybe maybe Disney did an upgrade on this one. I don't know. I don't know how. I mean, it sounds like that could be a full film based on that story. Can I pat it out? But I kind of do like that they have Bongo have the happy ending in the wild. With Lulabel versus I've been shunned by my people. I will go to gentrification. <laughs> yeah, it, it is kind of a, a weird, interesting story, depending on how you want to read it. I don't I don't know. It's like, do you do you want to read the like, you know? Yeah, there's some potentially problematic aspects. In, in both versions of the story, honestly. Yeah, in both in both versions of the story, there's potentially problematic aspects. It's it's kind of a, a bizarre thing on how you want to read it. So yeah, it's it's a kind of a fascinating dichotomy there. I don't know which one I I would prefer, to be honest. But yeah, it's it's very very interesting. The the thing is is that. The original story is probably slightly more realistic because of, you know, you can't just take an animal. I mean, you know, we talked about this with, like, the the Finding Nemo stuff. You can't just take an animal that's been raised by humans and just dump it in the wild and expect it to thrive. You know, it's like once you've taken it out of that environment, you know... Um, it has to be, I mean, it's why rehabilitation facilities exist, you know, it's like there is a possibility of rehabilitation and reintroduction into the wild, but it has to be done delicately and by trained professionals. Otherwise, you have to make sure that like, well, we just have to make sure that we care for this animal for the rest of their lives in, you know, proper comfort. And just make sure we don't, you know, perpetuate that by, you know, breeding a lot more of them. Um, and so I guess in in that sense, it's probably a little more realistic that like, well, Bongo couldn't survive on his own out in the wild. Um, but, you know, Disney... It possibly has the better idea of like maybe don't do circuses with animals, <laughs> which is kind of weird, you know. Like Disney, I mean, Walt himself did have circus animals and the like during the early days of Disneyland. So <laughs> yeah, it's one of those like yeah. So let's, let's let's get back to our story here. As as the bongo record ends, Jiminy Cricket realizes whose house he's actually in as he reads an invitation for Miss Luana Patton. Yes, this is the bedroom. It's 
supposedly of young Luana Patton, who has gotten an invitation to go to the party across the way to Edgar Bergen's house. And just the, the so we so Jiminy decides to invite himself to Edgar Bergen's party, a a, a party uh, that a grown man is throwing for two puppets and a little girl. That seems totally normal. Yup. I have no questions. So uh, yes, Edgar Bergen is is entertaining young Luana with his puppetry skills, his ventriloquist skills. In this incarnation, it seems that uh, Charlie and Mortimer are moving on their own, very much Muppet style. Yeah, there there are some fun moments if you're a puppetry nerd of seeing where there they do some kind of slick stuff of like they've got the the puppets propped up and you'll see like Edgar Bergen walk into frame and like very slyly maneuver his hand so that he can you know get it into position to be able to do the puppetry and all and it's it's so slick and so smooth the way that they have the the puppets placed so that he can like sit down on the couch next to to Charlie McCarthy or whatever and all and it just kind of the way that he he does it so that you never notice his hand mm-hmm. you know go into place he'll just like you know Charlie will be sitting there and he'll sit down next to him and then like 5 seconds later Charlie will talk and you kind of like and then you'll realize like oh man I never I never noticed the moment where he like put his hand into position cuz he was so smooth in doing that but also, also and there are wide shots where you can see you know the characters interacting and it's kind of obvious that even even though this is a wide shot, that it's someone other than Edgar Bergen puppeting these characters because they're not as lively as they are when Bergen is actually puppeting them. Yeah, that that is that is kind of sad that you can you can tell that like that they've dubbed in stuff later, but it is nice to to kind of have it it there. Mm-hmm. Um. The blending of the the live action and the animation with Jiminy kind of running around, mm-hmm. you know, little bits and stuff I around wonder if the that's party. Actually, I wonder if those are actually Edgar Bergen's feet, or that or they, they just get another person to kind of walk around while they animate Jiminy and around them. I I don't know, but it it is kind of it is pretty good animation blending for the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, now it it looks like oh, you know, but you got to remember at at the time. Yeah, time. Um, this was still relatively new technology. Yeah. You know, um, and so it is a a pretty good uh, use of it here, uh, especially for a, a film that was being made so on the cheap. Yeah. Uh, so I, I rather, I rather liked the, the blending of it. Um, so yeah. So after insisting that, uh, 
Luana have more cake and more ice cream, he decides, well, would you want me to tell you a story? Yes, Mr. Bergen, tell me a story. And Wouldn't this, you like to hear a story, Charlie? No, no, I would not. <laughs> would you like to hear a story, Mortimer? Huh? Well, sorry. Where are we? Where am I? <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things that if you if you're aware of the, of the actor and are familiar with the characters, this is totally in character. This is totally on brand for each of those characters. If you're a person in the modern age walk, watching this, like, what are these characters? Who are these people? <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those that some of the humor in this is only funny if you're familiar with these characters and the you actors, know their yeah. their shtick yeah because this so. is fully edgar bergen in full edgar bergen mode but again if you're not familiar with edgar bergen you're kind of going to get wondering what what's going on here but the point is this is our segue into mickey and the beanstalk our second short so we go to the land of Happy Valley, and it's called Happy Valley because everybody is happy. I must say that some of the best parts of this short is Charlie McCarthy snips. <laughs> yeah, Charlie McCarthy just coming in with the snide little remarks of like how badly he thinks Edgar Bergen is telling this story. It's MST3K before MST3K. It really is, and I and I very much enjoyed that part because it does help when the short is dragging a little bit. Yeah. So Bergen is narrating the story. So we get to there once was a castle in Happy Valley, and in the castle lived the magic harp, who would sing every day and bring joy and merriment to the people of Happy Valley. Until one day the giant came, stole the harp, and without the harp to sing its happy song, uh, as Charlie McCarthy says, Happy Valley becomes gruesome gulch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's the green is gone. It's it's the valley is barren. There's no food. There's no water. There's no nothing. All because the magic harp got stolen. Which finally leads us to our Jack of this story. Mickey, Donald, and Goofy. Three farmers who live together. Don't ask any questions. There's no Minnie Mouse in this story. That's all you need to know. <laughs> so... Mickey, Donald, and Goofy are poor. Their their cow has no longer produces milk. They are sharing a single slice of bread that they are slicing up into paper thin slices and one bean that they have to chop up just so they can make a the most pitiful sandwich you've ever seen, just so they could eat something. And Donald goes full Donald. He can't stand. He can't stand living as like this anymore. He's goes. I love Donald trying to make a sandwich out of the plates and the, and the silverware. Silver, yeah. <laughs> that that is a good gag. <laughs> he's he's lost it. He's just he's he's been starving for so long. He'll eat anything. Donald, in his madness, grabs an axe. He's gonna he's gonna take out the cow because no, the cow doesn't produce milk anymore. And the cow is made of hamburger. Yeah. <laughs> to which Charlie McCarthy says, yeah, let Donald do it. Uh, throughout this short, we constantly cut back to the party. 
So we constantly go. So we go from Disney animation to live action at various points, and it, it really does feel like MST3K. Yeah. We go from the movie into the to the to the skit. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so Charlie McCarthy is saying, you know, sure, eat the cow. Why not? I don't see a reason. And uh, Luana say, don't you dare leave that cow alone. The cow that only exists in the story. The the funny thing is though is that Mickey's like no we won't we won't butcher the cow we'll we'll just sell the cow and I'm like Mickey darling think about it it's a cow that don't produce milk anymore what you think's gonna happen to the cow if you sell it yeah but th- but we have to follow the story <laughs> here and though there's a deleted scene in this movie. Because Mickey was supposed to sell the cow to Honest John and Gideon from Pinocchio, another Pinocchio cameo. And they were supposed to trade the cow for the magic beans. I kind of wish they had kept that in and animated that. But I don't know, you know? Pardon me, just to have, you know, another cameo of a well-known Disney character. But... I guess they felt it would have slowed the story down. Okay, this is just a 30-minute short, so I don't know. Yeah. As the story goes, Mickey sells the cow. He get, he comes. As this is happening, Donald and Goofy are fantasizing about all of the food that they're going to buy with all of the money they're going to get when Mickey sells the cow. As you say, how much is a cow that doesn't produce milk worth? Well, it depends on how much meat is potentially on that cow. True. <laughs> so they're imagining all the food they're going to get with all the money. And Mickey comes back with magic beans. And Three magic Donald beans. Donald goes full Donald again. Beans. I'm tired of beans. No more beans. Yeah, but if we plant the beans in the moonlight, we get more beans. No more beans. That's what happens when you plant beans. Well, if you're lucky. Yeah, when when Donald has his fit, the beans fall into a hole in the floor and under the house and into the dirt and Well, that's that's how we get the magic bean stalk. Yep, the moonlight hits just so happens to hit the hole that the beans fell in. And the moonlight makes the seeds grow into the beanstalk, and we get a nice little musical sequence with the beanstalk completely tearing the house apart as it's growing and sending all of our three our three characters into the sky, the land of the giants, whatever it is called. And that is a very well animated sequence, I got to admit. Again, for a movie that's done on the cheap. Yeah, and and it's. There's a lot of inventiveness in the way that it kind of moves them through the beanstalk and through the clouds and, you know, passes them off from, like, they start out in the bed and then, like, Donald moves into a barrel and, you know, Mickey slides through a loop-de-loop and, you know, it's like, there's there's a whole thing. And it's it's very visually interesting and stuff there's a lot of there's a lot of visual gags we didn't really talk about it but there's like there's one in bongo where he 
parts the waterfall like a curtain and everything. And there's like one one audio gag where he piles up a bunch of straw for his bed when he first gets into the woods. And then he pushes down on the straw and it makes a squeak like a bed spring. Mm -hmm. Which, I, you know, I, I love little jokes like that. Mm-hmm. Stuff you can only get away with in animation. Yeah. And there's there's a lot in this little sequence, too, where they're going up through the beanstalk and they're all still asleep. And, you know, it's the beanstalk is moving them and, and all. And, uh, you know, at one point the beanstalk puts a stool underneath Goofy's butt. You know, it's yeah. the, the, the things things like that. I love just the creativity of the animators on display yeah here we are in the land of the giant and they're noticing how big the bugs are how big everything is they they use a pea pod for a boat which yeah i like making it to the giant's lair uh mickey Tries to knock on the door, be gentlemanly like, but uh, someone that small knocking on the door that big, n- no one's gonna hear it, dude. So they just make themselves, they sneak under the door, coming in, and they notice the feast that is on the giant's table. Every food you can think of, gigantic size, and they just go to town. They, these three probably haven't had a decent meal in who knows how long. So they're just going to town eating everything that they could find. Eventually finding the magic harp, which has been locked away by the giant. Wonder, you know. So they now have the plan to get the 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 uh, harp out of here and back to Happy Valley. Uh, and but uh, here comes Willie the Giant character. The last time we talked about Willie the Giant was what? Mickey's Christmas Carol. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think that's going to be the appearance of, of of him anyway. So we get the giant, and we get the fee fi fo fum song. This song has been stuck in my head for so many years. <laughs> Every time, and it's and it's the freaking gag in here because <laughs> he says fee fi fo fum he hi ho hum. And then he kind of gets his words mixed up and he goes, fum, fo, fee, foy, fee, 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 fee. That one part goes, fee, fee, I don't know no fee, fee. And that one part has been stuck in my brain my (laughs) entire life. (laughs) Every time I hear the name fee, fee, my instinct is going, I don't know no fee, fee. (laughs) I do like that in this version of the story, the giant is a shapeshifter. Yeah, he can make himself anything he wants. He can shrink himself to any size. He can turn into any animal. He just has this ability, which is very creative for the uh, for the story I want to tell here. Yeah, and makes me wonder what the, how they would have expanded upon that if this had been a full feature. Well, it, it might have been like a whole sword in the stone thing again, where the where the. Uh, where this is only part of a of a larger feature. Well, no, I'm I'm talking about specifically about the where they they try to trick him. Yeah. You know, in into the, using his shape shifting ability against him, and I do wonder if it might have been like the Madame Mim fight fight kind of thing. 
where it might have been a more extended sequence of like you know because he's like oh are, are you sure you don't want a bunny or whatever but yeah it might have been like a more extended sequence had this been a, a feature film of like oh can you be a bunny can you be a horse? Can you be a what? Can you be a fly? You know that would have been a that would have been a whole song right there. Yeah, I mean it it, it might have been had this been a feature film, but instead, you know, it's it's a tiny sequence. So yeah, the point is Mickey sees a fly swatter. He tells the giant, "Can you turn into a fly?" Because their plan is to use the fly swatter to squash the giant and get out of there. But the giant wants to turn into a bunny with big floppy ears. And he sees them holding the fly swatter, getting ready to swat him. And he goes, hey, you were going to swat me. He grabs the harp out of the chest, puts Mickey, uh, puts Donald and Goofy in the chest, takes the harp out, has the harp sing for him while Mickey is trying to come up with a plan to get everybody out of there. Yeah, he thinks all three of them are in there, but Mickey slipped through because he's tiny enough that the giant didn't notice that all three of them weren't in there. And we get uh, we get the song My Favorite Dream, where she sings the giant to sleep and she sees Mickey's. And we get that part in his left breast pocket. You'll find the key. Yeah. So Mickey does his plan to get into his pocket, grab the key and get out of there. The interesting thing is, is that we do get the good use of Billy Gilbert's interesting trick or, you know, uh, not trick, but the thing he was known for. Sneezing. Sneezing, which is why he was sneezy in Snow White. Because in his pocket is a box of snuff. Mickey throws the snuff in his face and he sneezes. (laughs) Yeah, well, it, it's more of an accident because Mickey falls in and he sneezes and that makes the snuff go everywhere and then the giant sneezes and, you know. <laughs> but the... I I still find it fascinating that that was Billy Gilbert's... Shtick. <laughs> yeah, his thing. So... Vaudeville, anything could be a shtick. <laughs> yeah. But... uh. That's a thing that you could not get away with now, though, is using a box of snuff. Yeah. In a in a cartoon, I guess. I like I like the harp's little song and how she weaves the instructions into the song while trying not to wake the giant up. Yeah. So Mickey grabs the key. He frees his friends. They're sneaking out with the giant, but. Uh, and before he goes, he ties the giant's shoelaces together just in case he wakes up, which is exactly what happens. The giant wakes up, gives chase. They get this great animated chase sequence where Willie the giant is chasing after Mickey down the Goofy and the harp. Mickey does everything he can to slow him down. He plays a vine to try to trip him up. They're going down, you know, they're doing their best to kind of go down the beanstalk and the Willie is just effortlessly climbing down like it's nothing because you know he's kind of done that before i assume that's how he got the harp yeah but, but then again he can change it to anything he probably changed into a bird and flew down who knows but uh mickey donald and goofy make it to the bottom of the 
of the uh, of the beanstalk. We don't get the axe because usually the you would think the axe would come into play during the end, but no, they find this giant saw and saw the uh, the beanstalk down. And Willie falls down and down and down and down, and we cut back to live action as he crashes into the ground. Uh, according to Bergen, now that the harp is back in Happy Valley, Happy Valley can be green and jo- joyful again and happily ever after. Don't know how that works, but sure. But we get to we get the ending skit here. Where uh, Charlie kind of is completely bored of the whole story, like uh, he's he's the way the way Bergen holds Charlie and making him look like he really is trying to he is falling asleep from the story. Beautiful pu- puppeteering from Bergen here. Yeah. And and, M- and Mortimer Sturt is just so upset because the Willie was an ice giant. He didn't deserve to die. And uh, yeah, Bergen saying, well, Willie didn't die because Willie isn't real. It's a story. None of this really happened. And our ending gag as Willie the Giant lifts the roof off of Bergen's house looking for Mickey Mouse, which causes Bergen to come faint at the sight of his uh, the figment of his imagination, as Bergen said. <laughs> Everybody's like, uh, nope, no, no mouse here. <laughs> Go, go away now. <laughs> and yeah, we get uh, we get the final refrain of the song Fun and Fancy Free as Willie the Giant is going through the Hollywood Hills into downtown Hollywood <laughs> trying to find Mickey Mouse. There's a and nice ga- gets a nice gag where he passes by the legendary Brown Derby, picks it up and puts it on as a hat. <laughs> yeah. And we the get China. the old uh Grauman's Theater, which Disney now owns, I believe. <laughs> uh, no, they don't own it. But the uh, the Chinese theater is like across the street from the uh, from the theater Disney does own. Oh, uh, one little gag, one little gag in this in in this in this animated version of Hollywood, the Hollywood sign lights up, neon style. I I, I don't know. I mean, I'm surprised no one thought of that in real life. But uh, that ends fun and fancy free. It's very interesting to see how these two shorts go together and the possibilities of what these two movies could have been if they had been, if the finances were there to make these two separate features. So let's ask the question, Kiki. Does fun and fancy free have the magic? Um... Yeah, I mean, there's there's something there. It'll it'll never go down as one of my favorites. Mm. But it's it's cute and it's an inventive way of getting around the problems of the time. Let's say. Mm-hmm. I'm also going to say yes. I think Bongo kind of. As cute as Bongo is, I feel that it drags a bit. I felt like it needed something else. And I feel that Mickey and the Beanstalk runs too fast. And I, 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 maybe, and I feel like both of them kind of cancel each other out in that way. But 
Mickey and the Beanstalk is is still is you know one of my favorite Mickey cartoons still. Bongo kind of not so remembered these days. As a collective film, doesn't really work as well as I think anyone would have thought of. But as individual shorts, they're not too bad. But I am I am going to say yes, Magic, because I I really do like these shorts. Um. Mickey and the Beanstalk would actually end up getting released as an individual short several times over over the years. Um, there is a version that cut – most of them have cut out the Edgar Bergen part, probably because Walt doesn't want to pay royalties. Uh, there's a version that has the entire thing redubbed with Sterling Holloway's narration. Uh, there's a version with Ludwig von Drake doing narration. Uh, there's a version that aired on television with a different ventriloquist doing the narration, Sherry Lewis and Lamb Chop. Hmm. So, like, that is kind of weird because they kind of, you know, you got Bergen, who is a legendary ventriloquist actor, and Sherry Lewis, legendary ventriloquist actor. I cannot find that anywhere online. If anyone knows where to find the Sherry Lewis version... Send it my way. <laughs> because to hear the the regular narration done by Sherry and the snaps done by Lamb Chop, that sounds hilarious. <laughs> so yeah, let's let's move on to next week. Uh Kiki, we are going to be looking at one of the greatest wonders of the world, the backside of water. Ooh. Yes, we are going on the Jungle Cruise next week. This is going to be a real because it's another recent film. And we haven't talked about The Rock in a while. And uh, have we talked about Emily Blunt yet? I'm not sure we have. So that's going to be very interesting. And another uh, another movie with a Disney gay in it. Yep, the dreaded Disney gay. <laughs> we'll be talking all about that next week as we talk about the Jungle Cruise. So come back for that next week, and we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. If you want to help the fight for human rights in the U.S., the American Civil Liberties Union works to protect constitutional rights for all Americans. Their website is aclu.org. If you need reproductive services in the U.S. or wish to donate to those who do, go to abortionfunds.org for more info. The battle isn't over until the last person surrenders. The fight continues. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.